friends, countrymen, lovers of all things design. This is Grits and Grids. Hey everyone, today I am talking with Christian Helms of Helms Workshop in Austin. I'm sure you're all very familiar with his work. Uh, Christian, why don't you say hi and give a little bit of backstory. Hey guys, so uh, I run an independent brand design studio in Austin. Uh, we do a lot of consumer packaged goods, a lot of hospitality work, um, a ton of craft beer work, um, which is something we, uh, we enjoy as a studio in many ways. Um, yeah, um, we're here in Austin, we've been around for about 10 years and uh, and I don't know. Hey, I mean, uh, probably not much more than you already have shown us with the work. I'm sure so many people are familiar. And if you're just uh, now hearing of Helm's Workshop, I highly suggest you go check out their portfolio online. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, so I'm really pumped to have you on board. I think this is going to be fun. Uh, part one of this episode is something we're calling the grits. And jumping right in, I want to know, what was your favorite food or drink growing up, and why did you love it? Yeah, so I think grits is, is perfect, because um, I grew up in the South, uh, in a little town in North Carolina, and that was definitely a staple for me. I think as an eater, I was an absolute embarrassment uh, as a kid, at least to my mom. Um, I was horribly picky, so it was like grits with butter, uh, noodles with butter, hot dogs. Um, I did love things like fried chicken livers, which is, I guess, a little bit more unique, um, so there's that. but. It was really basic and really boring. Um, I was just horribly picky. Um, yeah, it sounds like butter was the mainstay, though. Well, I mean, it's butter, right? So, yeah, it never made anything bad. So, I guess I, uh, I guess I had that going for me. So, do you st- do you still eat grits? And do you uh, does it take you back to that time growing up? And yeah, I think you kind of you you. I think it's even more nostalgic now, um, especially living in Texas, where grits are not as big. Although they've kind of permeated everywhere in recent years with the way culture has kind of shifted um, in terms of craft and food. But absolutely, yeah, I still love all that stuff. Yeah, it's funny uh, when we work with brands that are outside of the South, um, you know, and they're trying to do like a more Southern concept. The first thing that they list out is shrimp and grits. And I always say to them, I'm like, listen, y'all, you better do it right because you can't just like cook up some grits and think you've nailed it. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to be the judge of that because I think if you try to tell a southerner that you're cooking grits and you and you biff it, it's not going to work out very well for you. Yeah, the bar is high. You know, I'm judging against my grandmothers and that stuff is perfect. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. so I get pretty critical. I'm with you. Yeah, it's like I, I'm not going to be the one that like puts the Yelp review. I'm going to tell grandma <laughs> to like come taste this and she'll Yelp review. And she's sure. ruthless, you know. <laughs> so, you know, to this, uh, bringing it to today, um, you know, what do you crush out in your own kitchen? Like, what is your go-to staple? Like, the Pope's coming over, and you got to impress. Yeah, what are you going to cook I mean, in your kitchen? Most often, it's some variation on pork. Um, I just, lots of pork. Um, again, I grew up in the South. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the Carolinas. So, like, chimichurri tenderloin, smoked pulled pork, uh, sti- uh, like a Thai stir-fry with tangy pork, um, tacos al pastor, um, you know. The pig is a versatile animal, uh, and I love it. You know, I'm from North Carolina. Absolutely. So do you think that's like what went into the inspiration for your work for Frank? Well, yeah. It's like a lifetime of like bad puns and jokes. And, and I mean, it's sausages. If you can't have fun with the idea of sausage, um, you're, you've lost your sense of humor. Yeah. No, so it's funny. Um, when we, like the first book, book that I wrote, which unfortunately I, I've taken off the market for now, um, I believe we had uh, Frank 
in that book. Oh, um, cool. Because that was a few years ago. What, I mean, like four, five years ago. Yeah, it's been um, But it still holds strong. Um, but I still love this stuff. Yeah. It was a labor of love. And uh, and we definitely packed a tremendous <laughs> amount of, uh, of branding into a small space. Every square inch, I think. Yeah, it was, it was a good... Uh, how do I put it? So I think what makes it great, it isn't so much that, you know, it's it's fun design and like you said, some fun puns in, in, in its use, but um, I like the way you approached each of the touch points and made sure that they were given thought. For instance, the Pilsner glasses that had the pig yeah, snap on them. Yeah, I love those. Those were so much fun. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, it was definitely not an exercise in restraint. It was, it was thinking about how we could dial up every single touch point. And it was kind of, you know, it was an early sort of comprehensive brand and environment piece that I got a hold of. So there was a lot of, you know, joy in the work and a lot of sort of built up excitement to, to hit something that hard. So um, I think the probably the signature is 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 overdoing it. Yeah, I mean, but it, I mean, it wasn't overdone, though. I think it was actually well executed. And it's something that, you know, I try to preach to anyone that I'm talking to, whether it's my team or out there in the world is, you know, stop, stop facilitating the utility and start you know, seeing it as an opportunity to uh, bolster and proliferate the brand. So, you know, hey, we need a Pilsner glass. Okay, great. I'm going to throw your logo on the side. There you go. Um, instead, you guys took a different approach. And I think it's, it's fun. It's quirky. It's worth talking about. And yeah, it's, it's just a Pilsner glass. It's something glass. I've definitely held on to. Um, you know, I think just finding those unexpected places or those places that are really generally treated as a pedestrian object and finding a way to, you know, to have a small conversation and create a small little amount of delight there um, and then do it on a large scale with a mural or an environmental installation or whatever. Um, it just, it creates this really great layered experience for folks where they really get a sense of the character and personality of the place. So when you're, when you're trying to get inspiration uh, for doing this work, now Frank, I think, was a bit easier because of your undying love for the pork. But, um, <laughs> but you know, let's just say that you had to approach something that maybe you're not familiar with when it comes to food or beverage. Uh, is there a certain amount of immersion that you try to do? Like actual, like eating and, and drinking Yeah, of? I mean, that's the best, right? Um, you know, on one side, something like Frank, where you are really familiar with it and you have this nostalgia and this kind of romantic idea of, of Southern food, that's great to get a hold of because it's really exciting. But the other side of the coin is getting to work on something that you're unfamiliar with and getting paid to learn and experience and grow as a person um, and just dive in and figure out this thing that you don't completely understand yet. That's phenomenal. Um, it's such a fun exercise. Um, and yeah, we do that constantly with all sorts of brands. Um, and absolutely, you know, the proof's in the pudding. So we want to we want to sample whatever the the beverage or the product is. Um, or the actual pudding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we haven't done pudding yet, but that would be perfect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the other thing is that you know we really pride ourselves on partnering with folks who care deeply about what they're doing and put a lot into it. Um, I think the word craft gets overused, but it's it's relevant there. You know, folks who who care deeply and and really, you know, try to excel in what they do. So um, more often than not, it's it's really great product to kind of get in and check out. Yeah, I, and I can't agree with you more about craft. And it's a shame because uh, <laughs> it's been it's been neutered by overuse, right? Yeah. Um, you know, now you have places like Subway trying to use the <laughs> word craft, uh, which. We know you're sandwich artists, but come on, you're not you're not gonna <laughs> shovel that one down our throats, friends. Um, you know, and so we we've actually started jumping over to the word artisan, and now it's even gotten to the point where it's like 
we may have that in the in the behind the scenes in the brand strategy but we spend so much time like discussing with the client like if if you're going to be craft there are certain levels that you have to be at you can't just say craft because you've you know you do this one thing well like craft is a lifestyle and something that you have to live it, it can't just be something you say um i don't know if you come up against that sure yeah artisanal is definitely on our out of bounds list here at the studio it's just it's not allowed at this point it's just i agree it's been beaten to death and and i hope craft doesn't get there um but you know i think there's a sentiment to craft and a truth to it you know that is always going to be valuable even if the word is getting overused a little bit um, mm-hmm folks recognize something that has true value and, you know, a true level of, of finesse and expertise in the way it's crafted. Um, and you, you can use the word, but you can't really fake that part. Yeah, you can certainly use the word, but I think people will see right through it. Just like you said, it's a, uh, there, there are some visual cues that they're looking for, but when they show up and they're not seeing craft in action, you, you lose the word anyway. Like they don't believe it, it becomes unbelievable. Um, have you come up against that in, in any of the work that you've done over the recent over the few recent years? Is there things that you were exploring and you're like, guys, you're just not craft. We can't. We can't. Not as say much, that. just because you know it's it's not applicable to every single thing we do. I mean, we work on some technology projects. We work on you know different types of hospitality. Um, we have a pretty broad range of things in mm-hmm. our court right now. But we've never had someone really try to claim a space you know aggressively that they just don't belong in. Um, again, you know. We're a little smaller than we could be because we like to be picky and choosy right. about who we work with. Um, and we tend to partner with folks who we really see eye to eye with in terms of, you know, putting something out there that's honest and true and that people are really going to connect with. So it's not a problem we have very often. That's good. That's good. I mean, I know we come up against it from time to time where, again, it's just we have to kind of get on the pulpit and, you know, preach at them like, listen, you, you can't just say things. You, you got to live them. And uh, that's especially true when we're trying to turn brands like legacy brands around that and maybe have been around for a while and the way they did things 10 years ago isn't working anymore. And so it's a, it's a really it, the true definition of a paradigm shift, not to use other buzzwords, but uh, trying to push them out of what they think is right and what they know to get them to see that like you can't just say that you're doing stuff you, it actually has to be done and, and live yeah i think it takes insight um, and it takes good strategy to sort of shine a light on how a group has evolved over 10 or 25 years from what they were and also how they have evolved in the way they relate to an industry that's changing so we definitely have to do that um often um but again it's folks who are willing to to trust and listen and learn um and we we work really hard to dig in deep and really understand before we start making those recommendations. But sure, um, you know that shift can be hard for folks sometimes to wrap their head around. Yeah, that's the mark of a good client too, right? And a good relationship is when they start to trust that you're not you're not suggesting things because you think I don't know you somehow are superior, um, but you're, you're you're suggesting things because that you have their best interests at heart and. We're getting dangerously close to the to the second half of this segment. So before we do, let's jump back, have a little bit of fun before we get into the underbelly that they don't show you on TV. Um, we're going to start doing this segment called Bang, Mary Kill, which is a complete rip on Howard Stern. So if you're listening, Howard, don't sue me. Um, but we want to do it with food and beverage. And so the first part of that is 
bang, which is the guilty pleasure that you would bang down when no one else is looking? Like, what's that one food that you don't want to talk to, like, talk about with anyone, but when they're not looking, you're like, I, I'm going to totally sure. eat that. Okay, so these are going to be probably really odd compared to the ones you get later. Um, backstory, so years ago, I got hit really hard with Lyme disease, um, and one way I manage kind of the ongoing symptoms of all that mess is with a pretty narrow diet. Um, so like no heavy carbs, no refined sugar, and a handful of other rolls, no beef. Um, so I, by necessity, I have to eat pretty healthy. So these are going to probably be really boring compared to uh, some of the answers you're going to get later. And definitely from the answers you would get from the rest of the folks at the studio. Um, so what is like a guilty pleasure I could just eat a ton of? Um, so there's an amazing uh, tortilla brand called Siete that I believe is based out of here in Austin that I discovered earlier this year. Um, and they're like a grain-free tortilla that tastes amazing, like so much better than you could possibly imagine. I mean, I think they rival a lot of the, you know, homemade tortillas here in town, um, regular tortillas. And so like, I live in Austin, it's like, you know, taco heaven, and I haven't had a taco in like four mm -hmm. years, and then I found these things. You know, four years without a taco in, in Austin is like being thirsty in the middle of the ocean. You're just, just all staring at you, but you can't access it, so. I found these things and it's just like, boom, um, I could crush a pack of those easy yeah. quesadillas, tacos, enchiladas. Like it is just, it's like, it's, it is an, an amazing find. Um, so yeah, just, you know, if you're out there listening, think about not having one of your favorite foods for four years and then all of a sudden you can eat as many of them as you want to. Um, it's, it's oh, I would gorge myself like a, like a yeah. fat pig. <laughs> yeah, the people in your life are probably sick of it. They're like, all right, oh, dude, like, can we not have yeah, tacos today? Yeah, but I'm, I'm unapologetic. <laughs> so that's, that's your, uh, you know, that's your, your sinful go-to. But uh, the second one in this list is Mary. So the, the one food that if you had to eat every single oh, day cool. of your life, so you'd be happy doing it. I eat uh, a ton of uh, Hawaiian poke, which is, you know, raw fish, tuna, salmon, uh, mm. yellowtail, whatever, and veggies, um, and all kinds of great sauces and wasabi, ginger, that sort of thing, kind of piled in a bowl. Um, it's awesome. It's it's light and really flavorful um, and super healthy. So fish overall, I eat a lot of fish. That's kind of a lunch staple here at the studio for me. Um, and then we have a barbecue client mm -hmm. that we started working with recently that are just, they're phenomenal. Um, they were just written up in Esquire, I guess, last month. Um, and they do these smoked duck wings and this pork porchetta and smoked deviled eggs, like pretty much anything they do, I could eat just every day of the week. Um, but I think it would kill me. Um, so it's probably that they're just far <laughs> enough across town that I can't go over there every day because they're just, they're absolutely amazing. Yeah. Are you allowed to share? Oh, yeah. The, it's a the group called Roy and Lewis. Um, they're a new group here in town that we're working with on a brick and mortar. Um, that uh, is under development. Uh, they're currently out of a food truck in South Austin, and they're absolutely phenomenal. That's awesome. Um, I'll have to post uh, at least where they are now so people can kind of keep an eye on them as they're you do your work. Um, and so they're currently in a food truck, huh? Awesome, okay. And then the final piece is, this is where you get to be completely ruthless, and I'm gonna tell you that you can't answer based on fighting oh, with Lyme sure. disease. It has to be a truly <laughs> deep hatred for a food and oh. you want to kill it and remove um, it from the face of the earth. So I think my go-to historically would be creamed corn. Um, I think it's legitimately disgusting. Uh, I have all my oh, life. Yeah? I was forced to eat it as a kid and it's just repulsive to me. Um, I made the mistake of when I first uh, met my then girlfriend, now wife's family, <laughs> um, I was going to visit them for like the holidays and, um, and 
my mm-hmm. wife's mom asked, you know, is there anything that you don't eat? And I was like, I'll eat anything but creamed corn. So they served creamed corn the first meal. I got it in my stocking. Like I get it as a gift often from them. Like they just are hammering on the creamed corn thing. So it's, a, it's kind of a constant <laughs> reminder. That one's going to be top of mind. So is it that they just don't it's, like you? It's or? That, yeah, it's that I'm a huge disappointment, and also I think they really, <laughs> really just take a lot of joy and just in in just dragging folks down and making them feel awful. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good way to folks. do it. I love them. Um, they have a great sense of humor, and uh, and please yeah. uh, make sure you don't edit out that part. <laughs> that that is solid. That is so solid. <laughs> um, I always found it funny, like a, you know, a man like Andrew Zimmern. Uh, from uh, yeah, the, uh, what's, what's the uh, name of that the show? Crazy food thing. I totally um, forget, but I can't think of the name. Yeah, yeah. So like all over the world. So this guy will like eat bugs and worms and you know the 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 foulest of disgusting stuff in the world. But for those that like watch the show, because I'll watch it while I'm working at home um, at night because it's just on. But it always cracks me up. He hates walnuts. That's like the thing, huh? Just like super pedestrian. No one hates walnuts, but that's the one thing he can't handle. Yeah, he can't eat walnuts. Like, like we'll gag at them. Like, we'll, we'll just completely sneer and just can't stomach walnuts. He can stomach, like, rotting corpses of, like, you know, of whatever animal. But a walnut, that's his kryptonite. So That would be a really tough job. Um, I... I, you know, I'm amazed he's stuck with it that long. That's kind of one of those entry-level hosting Food Network jobs that you sign on for for X number of yeah. years to get your foot in the door. And then, you you know, like Bourdain would eat, all, eat you know, crazy stuff in the beginning. And he scaled out of that as quickly as he could because you know it's just miserable. No, it has to be. I mean, to, to come up. I mean, especially, like, so the other thing that I remember him not being fond of, but I don't know many people who are outside of that area. I think it's Thailand is uh, durian fruit. Uh, durian oh, yeah. And so, I mean, it just smells like disgusting. Yeah, it's feet. just like, a, you know, it's like with alcohol, it's like a challenge shot. Like, no one really enjoys it. It's it's like Jaeger or, you know, some yeah. of the others where it's like an endurance rather than an enjoyment. And I have, I have zero interest in that. Yeah, like, no, that's good, man. There's, like, so much good booze out there I'd rather drink. I don't think I need a challenge. Yeah. My friend will still do that from time to time. We'll be at the bar and, you know, it'll be, like, guys night or whatever. And he's like, let's do Jaeger. I'm like, no, because, you know. I'm I'm yeah, not 20. Jaeger is not me unless something yeah. really horrible happens in my future. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> ain't happen. I mean, like unless I have to save someone's life by taking a shot, and even then, I'm going to evaluate that person. So yeah, hard they're going to be big time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into the second part of um, our new format, and that is the grids, which is a little more hard line. Um, some questions that I think aren't necessarily being asked because people are scared to answer them. Maybe I don't know. Um, so the first one we have is nightmare client scenario. So a nightmare scenario that you had with a client, what happened and how did you handle it? Would you handle it differently now than you did then? Hmm. I don't have a really great go-to nightmare client story off the top of my head, um, which it seems like a lot of folks do. Um, again, like we, we're really lucky. We have some great clients. Um, I think probably in the past there have been a couple of folks who slipped through the cracks. Um, just, you know through vetting we didn't catch that ended up being probably difficult to deal with, um, maybe unreasonable, or the worst for me is just not respectful of my team. Um, and generally in that case, we part ways um, and we yeah. do it in a professional way, but life is too short to work with folks that you know that you can't believe in um, and that you have to, again, endure rather than enjoy. So 
generally we find a way to, to end those projects as, as efficiently as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you don't mind me pushing, so um, we don't have to name clients by any means, but let's just say, you know, I'm a client that is just not, you know, seeing the value in the team or I've said something that's a bit over the line. How, in your definition, what would be a professional exit for them? I mean, because I think the problem that a lot of people come up against is, okay, I've paid you X amount of dollars. I expect that work. Um, I'm assuming you're not into <laughs> refunding money. <laughs> um, so how do you bow out of a tough situation where you know? Because I, I think what we find, too, is if, if you're being disrespectful of the team, then you don't see the value. And if you're not seeing the value then there's a lot of bigger problems with right. this relationship. So it's actually better for both of us to, to disengage. So um, is it is it a, you know, like a, what we would call a come to Jesus talk? Is it a, a telephone call? Do you price them out? Like, do you basically say, oh, in order to continue, it's gonna be a million dollars? How do you right. go about it? Well, I think all of those are viable and it really depends on the situation. But for, first off, I generally try to have a real frank and honest and direct conversation and not in an argumentative way. Um, to come from a place of just trying to understand and sort of offering a solution. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, you don't seem pleased, are you unhappy with the quality of the work? Are you unhappy with the service? Tell us, you know, where those things lie. And then, you know, when they, for example, respond and say that the quality of the work is fine and that, you know, and that the service interaction with the team seems fine, um, then you just have to point out that there are a lot of things we're seeing that, you know, sort of indicate otherwise. Um, And just talk about whether we're the best fit for them as an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, folks are grown-ups. They can have those conversations. Um, and I think, you know, even if they are a challenging person, um, folks, you know, folks appreciate being talked to directly and not kind of being worked around and, and handled. Um, so that's generally the place to start for me. Yeah, and I find that, you know, those difficult folks, like you said, if they're, if they're already starting to become more manipulative and require or request things that are a bit absurd... You know, it's they're they're kind of being a bully, right? And it's not that you have to stand up to the bully and and take a swing at them, but you know, just having uh, the confidence in you and your team and realizing that you know you actually are the protector of your team. Like you're, you have to protect them. Um, and just being honest, like you said, I think really does work. Now we've we've had to disengage a number of times in a number of different ways, and you know, more recently I had a client say something about a team member that I was really unhappy with. And so I had to have a call, you know, a talk with him. And I'm like, listen, it's just, uh, if you're asking me to choose between you and the team, it's the team, you know, like we want to do good work. We're here to do good work. We bring a lot of value. If you're not seeing that value, like you said, then, then it's probably time to disengage and let's figure out what that looks like. Um, I think the key for, for anyone listening is, at least what I found, and I don't know if you agree with this or if I've also experienced it, but they, they say don't burn your bridges, and that, that's even in these cases. So, for instance, I've had places that I've disengaged with where that person has referred business our way. Good business, you know? And that won't happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've had that. Yeah. And, you know, we've had folks, you, folks, you know, career, careers don't stay in one place forever anymore. We've had folks that have been in situations that were challenging that later joined up um, with another brand mm-hmm. and became great clients. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you have to you have to behave and you have to conduct yourself in a manner that deserves respect. Um, so you can't stomp your feet and yell at folks. It's just not the professional way to Yeah, do. yeah, lashing out is not going to bode well. It may feel good for a second, especially depending on the situation, but sure. <laughs> it won't bode well in the long run. Um, 
So, all right, this is this is a very personal question. I'm going to beg you to be as honest as possible because this gets uh, this this can hit home. But for you, creatively, as you're approaching uh, whatever kind of project, what what's your blind spot? What's your challenge that you always have to struggle with? Like that you try to struggle to get through. Like for instance, some people are like, "Man, don't ask me to write a headline because I will freeze." Uh, do you have anything like that that you deal with, and how do you how do you push through it? Yeah, I think, you know, overall, I think everyone really fights falling into set patterns or paths to solutions. Um, you know, I'm 40, I've been doing this for 20 plus years, which is kind of hard to believe. So, you know, I think you have to fight to stay out of grooves that you dig for yourself. Um, and I think everyone, you know, who's kind of at this point fights to keep things interesting as well. Um, and there are great tricks to help you do that. Um, you just have to stay disciplined, um, you know. I'll create rules for myself at the beginning of a project where I'm not allowed to do X, Y, or Z because I, I've seen that I've been leaning on that too much. Um, so, you know, there are a million ways to kind of create a structure for yourself that forces you into an uncomfortable place. Um, and then the other part is that I have this great team of very different folks. Uh, and so working with them um, and trusting them to find solutions that are maybe different than I would find and helping to kind of foster and shepherd that process and 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 dive in and guide or support when needed um, is great, you know. Um, I'm kind of to the point where if it's just me, I'm going to be bored with the work, but if I have someone to collaborate with, it gets a lot more exciting. Um, so all of those things help. Yeah, so it probably makes a lot of sense that if you are a single freelancer to maybe find someone to work alongside even if it's just a little bit here and there to kind of challenge you and uplift the project, would you agree? Yeah, I think it depends. You know, I think when you're when you're new out of school or you're a new freelancer, you're just so excited to have something that's yours, you know, and just to design the hell out of it, um, and just you know make your mark and and just crush it. And and that's a great place to be. It's so exhilarating and. Um, it's new and fresh and exciting, um, but I think yeah, as you as you have done it for longer and longer, um, you know, problems that are unique and require you to think differently, or you know, collaborating with folks who have a different viewpoint, um, just helps push you outside of you know your your natural environment. And I think that's always good. That's how you grow. So what's your go-to? Like, let's just say I I didn't give you time to like prepare, and so you couldn't set up your rules. I told you to design. You know a logo or a menu what would be what, what are your go-to's that you try to like not do right now uh it's less not do and i think it's just trying to find a way to think differently um there's this mm -hmm. great book um by this guy edward de bono um called the thinking course and it's all about kind of heuristic bias and how to to trick your mind into doing things and like one if it's a logo one easy way to think about trying to find a metaphor for whatever the big idea is is you know, you grab a random unrelated magazine and you look at the image on each page and you think about what would this brand be if it was a blank? What would it be if it was this? How does it relate to this? And it just starts to push your head out into some spaces you would never go to in terms of like A to B to C. Um, it kind of snaps you out of that lateral thinking. So, you know, that's one way to do that thing. But, you know, ideally there's that and then just creating a list of all the immediate references um, that kind of our surface level for whatever this this client or service is um, and then just marking those out as impossible right like and do we really need another hop bud in a craft yeah, beer logo you, you'll never see a hop on any of our beer packaging right. for exactly that reason um, yeah it's just not going to happen yeah, it's, a, it's such a go to and, and the fork in the logos for restaurants and 
you know, all that stuff just seems to be par for the course. And of course, if there's like a, a chicken or if there's a barbecue restaurant, you're going to see a pig, right? Or, you know, a cow. Yeah, I think the other thing there. is like building a strong strategy to start, even if it's a smaller project, um, having strategy and framing and really understanding, having found the little things that make a client unique or special or different, because those are the things mm-hmm. you can lean on and leverage to create an identity that actually means something versus going to the solution where, you know, restaurant equals fork, beer equals hop. Like that, that doesn't do anybody any good. Right. It's not, yeah, it's not different at all. And it's not going to really stand out. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get out of the muck and talk about just, there's two more questions that I have for you and I'll let you go. So the sweet spot of the creative process, what is that one thing that you just love? Absolutely. I think it's changed over the years. Um, I used to just love execution. Like, you know, I think when you're young, you're like, I want the client to stop talking as soon as possible so I can start designing things. You know, like that's that's the mindset, <laughs> right. or at least it, it was probably mine um, early on. And now it's mm-hmm. kind of flipped where I really love the beginning of the project where you're learning and discovering and anything is possible. And you're kind of mining for these little nuggets of, of mm-hmm. kind of insight and truth that are going to help you build something bigger and more resonant, like I was talking about earlier. So getting in and learning and helping the client understand themselves and sort of turning on that light bulb for them that's going to light the path towards something really remarkable for identity. I love that part. And I love collaborating with the team and seeing, you know, not just my ideas being executed, but the ideas that they have, you know, um, that are a little unexpected to me and, and how we craft those together into something that that I would not have been able to do my, by myself and neither would they. Like that's really a special process and, and that's kind of the thing that I love the most. Um, and then probably an area that I hate the most is the dead time between figuring that stuff out and the stuff showing up in the world. I hate that lag. I just want immediate gratification, right? I want to see that thing on the shelf or you know, in the world as quickly as possible. And when you do, that's that's a really great Yeah, it's so glorious. Well. I mean, just you can see people's faces, especially the team members that like light up when they see, for instance, a, a beverage on the shelf or you get to go to like the opening of the restaurant and see the, that stuff all working together. Um, yeah, it's the best. And, you know, we, we have these great clients and collaborators and being able to see them, you know, realize that and see it in action is great. You know, we work with these folks. We work with a ton of startups and like most of these folks, you know, we're literally helping them sort of realize and build their dreams, you know, something they've been thinking about forever. So being able to help them get there um, and do it in a process that's really enjoyable and team oriented is like, it's, you know, it's the coolest job. We're really lucky to be able to do what we do. Yeah, I mean, and you become, I think, almost like a family or definitely a good friend when you're in those situations because you are on their side and you're working together. Um, I have a great <laughs> a photo that I absolutely love um, of my friend and client in, in Hawaii, actually. Funny you brought up Pokey. That's where I, I first had it a few years back. But it's a picture of him and I jumping off cliffs into the ocean. And uh, it was just it was just such a great metaphor visually for working together and taking this dive together and the trust involved and it's so awesome. I think that's definitely a sweet spot yeah, that I, I live for clients, personally. Uh, and so we talked about this early on. Uh, final question of the day: uh, What design, like one design trend or buzzword, would you just remove from the face of the planet? Um, I think I, we could do without millennial here at the studio. Oh, um, yeah, but it's it's kind of. <laughs> it's become a little tiresome. Um, you know, it's just too easy and it's too general and it's, it's just not really useful. Um, I think there are more insightful terms to use. So that would be, since we already knocked artisanal off the, uh, 
off off the mountain earlier, I would put millennial right behind it. Yeah, I I, I will throw up in my mouth a bit if I have to say it one more time or hear it one more time. It's just uh, like you said, it's just so obtuse at this point because there are so many nuances to an age group. You know, you can't just say all Gen Xers are the same um, by watching Mallrats, right? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or Clerks. Um, anyway, that's awesome. Uh, Christian, this has been so much fun. I, I appreciate you being honest and uh, bringing, bringing some great stuff to the table. I think it's going to be a stellar episode. Um, where can people find you online? Where should they connect with you? Yeah, so our, uh, our website is obviously helmsworkshop.com. Um, I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram as X-I-A-N Helms, um, just shortening of the name. Um, and yeah, that's that's us. Awesome. We'll have those links up there so people can click through, as well as some links for some of the stuff that we mentioned during the show. And uh, we really appreciate you guys tuning in, taking a listen, and do tell your friends. Follow Christian and the workshop, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks again, Joseph. Absolutely. Once again, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Do follow us at Grits Grids. That's Grits Grids with no end in between on Instagram and Twitter. This podcast and the Grits and Grids blog is a passion project of Vigor, a restaurant and beverage branding and marketing firm based in Atlanta. Check us out at www.vigorbranding.com. And of course, we're all over social media. Until next week, stay hungry, stay thirsty, and be creative.